Welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's football and random things. I don't even know who this guy is on the other side of the camera or on the other side of the Zoom call here. It's been two full weeks since I've talked to Jeff Woody. Hi, Jeff. Sorry, I had to go do some some degrees like get married and spend a, a week with my family. I apologize for that, Jared. I mean, it was really it's selfish. Delicate sensibility. It, it, was, it was really, really selfish. Okay. I know. I know. It was. Can we just get that out of the way before, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm like gonna... everybody else is back here. You know, we went to Vegas. It was a so, so time. The football game was what it was like. You missed a good time to not have to be able to be on football and random things, but you know, it's good that you're back now because we have, so we have a lot to talk about. I, I apologize for my selfishness of, of my actions the last week of hanging out with my, my nieces and my now wife and family. And you're not going to make me feel bad. You're not going to make me feel bad. <laughs> you will not. That, that, that would mean you have to have feelings. That's, yes. that's the thing. Yes. I, I am not going to feel bad. You're not going to make me feel bad, but, uh, man, uh, Iowa state falls 31 to 29, uh, to Baylor down in Waco on Saturday. There's a, yeah, like I said, a lot to get to here. Um, do we want to start with special teams? I think that we kind of have to. That's yeah. the story. Uh, uh, yeah. As much as we don't want to, I think we kind of have to. Yeah. This is – there's been a few games where special teams have seriously hampered Iowa State's ability to be able to win games. Uh, this is one of the few times, maybe the only other one being the Louisiana game last year when you can genuinely sit here and say special teams lost them this football game. I would go well, as far as to say that. I mean, no one's ever going to say that that's actually like, okay. So Iowa state, I'm just going to go through their drive chart really quick. Like where did the, the, the drive end? Uh, Iowa state had field goal drives that ended on Baylor's 23 Baylor's 21 Baylor's 22. Uh, they threw an interception drive ended on Baylor's 22. So like there is, there are ways where if you convert two of those drives where you had, where you stalled out on the 20 yard line, you convert two of those drives into touchdowns. You can give up a kick return touchdown. It's not a big deal. Uh, but as the game flow happened, the kick return touchdown, and then the abysmal punt, and I mean, I, I, I sort of fault the coverage team, but not really that punt, the punt it, was horrible. It was the, the worst combination of low and long, which means the returner has a ton of space to operate. And so you have those two things that happen in the same half. I mean, we were talking right before we started recording, you know, the, a, 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 another additional frustrating stat. And we've, we've seen this before against Iowa, just the offense was the one turning it over and having scored against versus the special teams. Baylor had negative four yards of offense in the fourth quarter and they had three points, which is insane that that can happen. Now, what I will say on the other side of it is despite all of that, despite giving up a kick return touchdown, despite giving up uh, having an uh, atrocious punt, you're not helping yourself win and you're actively harming your capacity to do so. Does anyone at all believe that if they didn't, or had they converted that two point conversion, they wouldn't have won based on what I just said of negative four yards in the quarter for Baylor on offense. So yes, it's a new half. You're not trying to just run the clock out anymore. Offensive scheme changed a little bit. I understand all that, but if Iowa state converts that two point conversion, it goes into overtime. You give the ball to Brees hall four times you score. 
And then Baylor has to try and figure out a way to match every single time just because of how effective Iowa state's offense had been in the second half. And so the, the frustrating part is that despite all of that, it is still a team loss. Like it, it, you, and even we, we can share on the defense too. Like don't give up 21 points in the first four drives. I mean, it's not, there is, it is a team loss altogether. And I don't want to exclusively just point the, the finger at special teams because, you know, as much as, as, as easy as it is, and as much of a, a large piece of the pie that special teams did chip into that, there was the rest of the team that did lose now. And again, I will counteract myself again, just because this, the nuances between winning and losing are infinitesimally small in that the, the interception that Brock threw, that is probably, that is three inches in either direction from being if it, so it hits the big 67, 62, whatever is big defensive tackle hits him basically like right in the second finger knuckle and it goes tips up in the air. If that's three inches higher, he doesn't get enough of the ball to really do anything with it kind of, or it completely misses his hand. And Charlie Kolar is wide open for a touchdown. Great call, great route, good decision. Just bear paw gets up there. If the ball is three inches lower than, or his hand is three inches higher then it hits him square in the palm. It, Pats down to the ground. And I think it was a second down when they did it. So all of a sudden just third down, move on. But he was three inches in either direction of that ball or his hand being there to go from a essentially game ceiling or, you know, foot in the ground touchdown or an incompletion, which then allows you to make another play or even kick a field goal, which would ultimately have been, you know, the difference in winning and losing. Mm -hmm. And it goes to an interception just because of just the happenstance of what it was. Same thing. If you look at the Baylor had three fumbles, especially the one that Will McDonald caused on Baylor's own 10 yard line that bounced into any Wazirike underneath any Wazirike's hand, and then just took a weird little kick away from, and then somebody got their arm in and snatched it away. Yes. You ended up getting the punt, but whatever, imagine getting the ball on the 10 yard line, like those little tiny breaks change the difference between winning and losing, especially on the road against a good team. So like that it's frustrating to see that special teams isn't helping because you want all three direction, all three phases of your team to actively be involved in the win. Offense and defense were actively involved, but they also had their mistakes. Special teams was not actively involved in winning that game. They were uh, absent from moving it forward. And by that token kind of pulled it backwards. But again, there's so many other things that could have happened in that game to negate the fact that special teams wasn't good. So it's not just special teams' fault. Okay. I, yes, I will say it was not just special teams' fault. Here's my problem, though. The things that were a problem have been a problem. Like, this is not, like, new issues, and they just, like, continue to happen. And that's what I think is annoying, you know? Mm -hmm. It's the the kick return for a touchdown – the next time that Andrew Mevis came out and kicked the ball, he kicked it 10 yards into the end zone. It, I, I almost wonder if they kicked it short intentionally to try and do what they had been doing before and then gave up a field return and it turned into a touchdown. I'm going to guess he just mishit that one, just got under it a little bit. But I, I, so that one, the, the special teams, the mistake that I was most frustrated with wasn't that one because Ebner has, that's his third kick return touchdown. It's like playing against Kansas state a little bit back. I'd rather in the day kick it out of bounds at that point. 
I mean, yes, but you also, if he kicks it to the end zone, you, you don't sacrifice 10 yards in, in that kind of drive. So you, you just want him to connect, but even if, so let's, let's do a little bit. And I, I, you can, I, there was not a good TV angle to see if it was a really good return by Baylor or a really bad coverage by Iowa state or a combination of both there, there wasn't that angle. So I couldn't see if it was or wasn't, but let's, uh, let's say for conversation's sake, uh, a kick return that goes for a touchdown. Imagine Kene Nuangu being on being back there. We would say great return by Iowa state. We wouldn't say terrible coverage by the other team. So let's say that Baylor just had a really good return setup. It just happened. The guys were mostly in their lanes, but just, you know, guy makes a play. You know what? Tip your cap guy makes a play. The one that is more frustrating was the punt. It was the bad, the punt return that uh, the, the bad punt from in your own territory that allowed the return to come all the way back to the 20 yard line, which they then the defense then backed them up two yards, but they made a field goal, which essentially put Iowa state in a mode where you had to score and get a two point conversion to, to even tie the game. Because if that's the case and they don't get that punt, Baylor's not going to, they're not going to drive down. We know that we saw what happened in the back half of the third quarter into the fourth quarter. They were not going to drive down. They're going to try and sit on the clock. Weren't going to be able to do it. They punt it back to Iowa state. Iowa state then gives Brock Purdy with a five point deficit, the capacity to go win the game. Iowa state wins that game, but different than a kick return that went down to the one or two yard line. There's not necessarily a really, you know, great job by the other team. That would be like if you kicked the kickoff to the 31 and they started the return from the 31 and then it came back. Like that was just a, that's a miss hit. It's a bad kick. And as much. Okay. Just look how sound... far away the coverage is when he catches the ball too. So like that's all you need to know to know how bad it was. So here's a, a little special teams uh, insight for those that are interested in special teams. Uh, think about it from a set, from a perspective of, like I'm about the, uh, I'm the special teams guy. Like uh, that is my, my body type is what they want on special teams. More or less is someone that can run at least well enough and is big enough to make tackles that those two things are going to be more or less fit. My 40 time is somewhere four, six, four, seven, depending on what type of shape I was in at the time. And anyway, so let's call it four, seven for the sake of slow math that four, seven, that involves a little, like a little bit of acceleration. So by the time you get to top speed, you're probably moving about 10 yards a second. By the time you're actually getting going, it's 4.7. You got to spend 15 yards getting going. Anyway, you got 10 yards a second. If your hang time is two and a half seconds versus four and a half seconds, that's two seconds short. Assuming that your coverage team is moving about the speed that I was, that's 20 yards short of coverage that you would naturally have. So your team I'm now trying to tackle a guy in the open field with a bunch of blockers running around completely just out of nowhere, because if it's that low, nothing's set up. It's just chaos at that point, because the return team kind of assumes that there is a timeline that I have in uh, that. I have time to get back around to the side. I'm trying to block somebody. So there's just guys running. Like there is absolute chaos when it's that low and that far that's the worst kind of punt because there is nothing set up, which means my, the net that you're going to try and cast. If I want to be four to eight yards away from the guy, from either guy beside me. And then once we get close, we kind of cinch it down. So you start four, two yards apart, you spread out to four to eight yards apart and you come back together and everybody, you should on a good punt return, there's 
six to seven dudes that are standing shoulder to shoulder, right in front of the return or making a tackle. Well, if you catch it in the middle of that net, because it's a low short or it's a, it's a low long ball with a very short hang time. That means everybody is at their complete widest. There is chaos going on because the blocking team isn't really where they want to go. And it just says, all right, now get going returner run wherever you want because nothing's set up at this point. You're just hoping to find something and let Tristan Ebner now with a 30 yard head start and 10 blockers in the field, do whatever he wants to do. That is a, a terrible punt. Now what's extra frustrating about that is that job isn't exceptionally hard being a just punting from that position. It's like you, you, there wasn't necessarily a rush that was coming. They weren't necessarily trying to block the punt. They didn't want to really block the punt. They wanted to get the ball back so they can get their offense. They didn't bring a ton of pressure. It was a miss hit. If you are a punter, your only job is to punt. Your practice then is punting. You should be at least adequate at punting. And when we were, when I was playing, we had Michael Brantner and Kirby Vanderkamp. Those two guys were pretty darn good at punting. I wouldn't say except because they're exceptional talents. I think they were pretty good. They have strong legs, but it was in consistency in, it would be better for a punt to go 45 yards with high hang time than for it to go 70 yards with low hang time. So all you're trying to do is kick the ball way up in the air, make it so they can't return it. And he should there, there was two different times in the game where one was a straight shank sideways. And then there was that laser beam and that's it. The job that you have is to practice not doing that in any situation, even if it's a directionally a little bit challenged, but it's up in the air. Fine. We can, I can, as a cover guy, I can find it. So that's the one that's exceptionally frustrating because it was a completely unforced error. It was, you have a, a drive in the fairway, the ball is sitting in the middle of the fairway and you chunk the next one into the water. You were set up perfectly for success. There is no one else to blame. That was a miss. So that's the be, frustrating part. I wouldn't even be mad. Like if he, if Iowa state punted it 20 yards every time, but they punted it a mile in the air, mm -hmm. like it, 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 and you did it every time, at least then, you know, exactly what your punt's going to be, you know, like you, is it ideal? Obviously not, but at least then, you know, how, like, it's like every time you're going to punt, you're like, okay, well, we know exactly what we're going to get here. Every time the punt field up uh, punt team comes on the field, I have no idea what's going to happen. The punt could go five yards or it could go 70 like i don't know you know mm. and apparently on the flip side iowa state is has the highest strength of schedule but for punters in college football right now between iowa and this kid from baylor who has a atomic bomb attached to his leg with the way that his punts were jalen Noel looked like he was uh like he was lost half the time trying to just figure out where the ball was going which I'm not going to fall in for I'm, kids a good punter. And uh, that's like what just pisses me off about it. Is it, is the inconsistency. How can you mm. win in the way that Iowa state wants to play when you have no idea what's going to happen every time you put your punter on the field, especially. Yeah. You can tell you specifically about Iowa state is you've got a coach that, I mean, we, we think about it with, you know, playing complimentary football, we go back to the UNI game and there's that, moment where everybody wants I or wants Campbell to go for it. And he says, no, we're going to give the ball back to, we're going to give the ball back to you and I, because they will not drive against our defense. That's that complimentary style. Well, that works when you're able to push field position where you want it, because if you're just going to get, 
give the ball to the opposing offense on their 40. Well, that doesn't really work. Cause even if you happenstance your way into two mistake plays, you're in field goal range and all of a sudden everything's well, or if like what happened there, you miss one as a laser beam and they return it back to the 20, all this doesn't really matter because your defense can do everything they want to do, but you're not getting set up for success. So the idea of being comfortable punting on fourth and half a yard because your defense is so good only applies if you know the transition from offense to defense is going to be smooth. And I would imagine he's going to have some lack of confidence in that unit. I mean, if he already hadn't, he is going to have a lack of confidence in that unit. And that's not because of the coverage team, the coverage team, I think is doing a pretty good job. But when you, again, when you shoot a low laser beam, that's 45 yards with one and a half seconds of hang time, there is no chance for that cover team to get set up at all. And so the fact that they got him down and didn't return it all the way for a touchdown is incredible, but it's again, I coach Campbell is probably going to have questions now in being able to trot his punt team out on fourth and a half a yard at the 48 yard line, like he normally would want to do because just put it inside the five, uh, let, you know, let Mike Rose and Will McDonald go to town with the ball on the minus three, let them go to town. Well, I don't know where the ball is going to go and we're going to punt it. And it's going to be a 17 yard net punt. Well, it might just be better to go for it. So I, I don't know this, that is the frustrating unit. And it's, and I don't even want to say unit, like that is the frustrating execution of a player where if you're missing 10 field goals out of 12 attempts. It's not necessarily the punt or the field goal protection team that is at fault. It's the operations between snapper holder kicker. Well, that's not the problem right now. It's the actual kicking of the punt, which is the frustrating, which is the negative part. And again, I, I don't want to harp too much on the punt because I said it before in the Iowa game, punters don't win games. So like, it's not a thing that you really have, you can chalk the whole loss up to it's just the special teams unit has to hold their water when the ball transitions from offense to defense. And if you can add anything, awesome, just don't lose anything. And, and there's twice, three times in that game where the transition from offense to defense or defense to offense, vice versa did not happen smoothly. And in fact, took a step backwards. So yeah, you, you, and, and what's the solution for it? I don't know. I don't you have to have a kicker, a punter who can successfully punt in some form or fashion. Maybe Corey Dunn can't traditionally punt the ball. Like that's not a thing you can do, but he can rugby punt it. I don't know. Then transition to a rugby punt, just do something that he can do to get the ball down the field. And if he can't do it in the way that needs to happen, find a backup wide receiver that's able to punt the ball effectively. And I don't know. It sounds like a radical, just throwing it out to nothing, but it's a frustrating thing because again, that, that job is not outstandingly hard. It's one that it's not a high school, Harry story. I did that in high school and then played running back in college. The position players are substantially more difficult than punting is. And I would even say is kick field goal. Kicking is substantially more difficult than punting is because a lot of times there's less pressure on that part of the game where kickers on the field points are at stake points happened or points are about to happen. If punting's on the field, all you're trying to do is just get it back to your defense and that's it. So yeah, the very frustrated in just how the execution of that phase and that just one portion of that phase was going to not allow your team the best chance to win. All right. The other thing that I know people have been frustrated with is the two point conversion play at the end. 
Uh, first of all, thoughts on the decision to go under center in that scenario. I don't think it's the worst decision on earth. I mean, everything that's one of those, everything works in theory. I don't think it's the best decision. I think a, a shotgun snap is probably more effective because uh, if they're going to end up running a boot leg anyway, then that probably gives Brock more space to see is if he's in the gun versus being under center. But at the same time, you got Brees Hall or you got Brees Hall and Jared Russ in the backfield and an under center snap looks an awful lot like we're going to punch this down the field. Okay. That seems like a reasonable threat. If you have those guys and if you're going to play action into that being under center draws a lot more on the goal line attention that just gets one of your three receivers that's going to be out there in on the flat that you're booting to one of your two or three receivers, three steps to have Brock toss it up to chase Allen. Who's, you know, whoever it was, who's six foot six or six foot seven, that's going to be able to go up and get the ball at the time. The overlooked part of that is, yeah, the snaps probably because it was a rushed, a naturally rushed situation because it was at the end of the game. Brock, there's a chance that exchange didn't go well because he, I would imagine Brock pulled out of that too soon, trying to just get everything rushed, which again, not the best decision, but I don't think it's necessarily the worst decision. I think it's an execution problem where yes, you want to set your guys up for the best chance to succeed. So it probably would be better to be in the gun, but hindsight 2020, if that succeeds, no one even thinks about that call. And so there are probably times throughout the rest of the game where they did something like that and it worked but we don't think about it because it didn't have a drastically negative effect. So I don't know. They have, let me look, look statistics really quick. Pretty sure Iowa state had 500, just shy of 500 yards of total offense. Offense necess wasn't necessarily that terrible during the game. So yeah, not the worst decision, not the best decision should have been handled better by could have been called better by the coordinators. Yes, but I don't think it's necessarily their fault. Could have been run better by Brock, but Again, one of many reasons why that game didn't go the way Iowa State wanted to and on that razor's edge of winning and losing. I think I, I probably would have liked to see him call a timeout right there just for this. You had two timeouts just for the sake of getting everybody on the same page and mm -hmm. the, like to eliminate the idea of feeling hurried, you know, mm -hmm. like just to let everybody take a breath for a second. You've had two long drives consecutively too, to – you know, work your way down into Baylor territory and ultimately score on one of them. The way that they scored the touchdown was hectic to say the least, mm -hmm. uh, including the play where Brock basically threw the ball in the air and the cameraman took a nap the, the second he threw the ball and didn't get it to see Brees catch the ball and run for 10 yards. Mm -hmm. uh, and like, so like even when, when they scored, I was like, man, I, I think you take a time out here just to, Calm everybody down a little yeah. bit. I don't know. And at the same time, Baylor's defense is on the field for those two long drives, yeah. and they are disoriented as well because they don't know what just happened. I mean, there was the 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 touchdown that just got scored was seemingly a busted coverage, so they're on their heels. And if you can get another busted coverage because they're on their heels, it makes sense to run something that they hadn't seen something they don't really like. And likely if most teams have a set of somewhere between two and five plays, they really like in two point conversions and they're going to practice those a bunch. So that play has probably been practiced at least a half a dozen to a dozen times. And it probably worked every time. 
And especially in a situation where you have a chaos happening around you, there's like, you know, you score a touchdown at the very end of the game. It was a crazy play. It was just after another crazy play. There's no way that Baylor was expecting something to happen, whatever, you know, you can make the rationalization. You can make the argument and the, in the, the opposition of that, it's just a hindsight 2020, like keep Baylor on their heels put them in a, into a look that they probably don't know or don't expect to see that you're under center. you got a two back backfield. They're running down their throats because they want to, you know, Brees Hall's had two, three touchdowns in the day. Like you want him to be, give the effect that you want them to see. It just didn't work. There's a bobbled snap, which threw the timing of everything else off. So hindsight 2020, it wasn't the right call. If it works again, no one even remembers what that play call was because it's just, they got a two point conversion. Let's go to overtime. So you can, I understand the desire for a timeout there. And would I have done that probably, but again, I can very easily make the argument that you keep Baylor on their heels and you show them something that they're not expecting while they're on their heels. So it just didn't work. I mean, that's the, the real be all end all. It just didn't work. All right, let's just talk about the offense at large then. Um, I thought the first drive that they went on was the best drive they've had all season. When they marched down the field and scored, I think it was 12 plays and like 75 yards in like seven minutes or something like that. I think this was the first entire game where the offense felt like what we expected the offense to look like. There were times where, you know, you can tip your cap. Dave Rand is really good at scheming and coaching. So there are certain times when it's not going to be perfect, but this is the first time that the offense felt like what the offense needed to be because at any given point, you could tell that Brees Hall is the best player on the field. And that is how the offense works for Iowa state is when, and you can even tell too, that I don't think he's got, he's totally fully healthy yet, whether it's an ankle or something like that, when he's in the open field, normally his gait is normally really long and smooth. And he has a little bit of a hitch in his giddy up, but he's still able to run for what, like 200 yards or something like that. 100, 190 yards. So you have, he's not totally at full strength, but he's still the best player on the field. And that again, that everything runs off of that. That's when Brock can be at his most comfortable. That's when Charlie's at his best. That's when chase Allen gets involved and actually gets yak yards for the first time in his entire career. And you have the ability to then build off of that run motion and that run action. And by the time they get to the end of the game, again, I, if that two point conversion gets converted successfully, there is in no doubt in my mind that Iowa state wins that game in one or two overtimes, just because they're going to punch Baylor in the face. And that is an exhausting thing to have happen when you have to deal with all those tight ends, that offensive line, that's finally that figured out what you're trying to do necessarily. And then you can just push people down the field. So the offense generally looked like the offense that we wanted to look the only, what I would say still thing that I'm not a hundred percent confident with is the ability to push the ball down the field. When you want to push the ball down the field, those plays are still a little bit harder to come by. Uh, and granted, those are, you're going to get one or two of those a game No, you're not really going to get a lot of big plays down the field, but that's the thing that you can expand this offense even more is if you're able to just connect down the field, they tried one to skates, but it's actually probably reason, one of Brock's best throws of the year. Yeah. And then I think you just got a little bit nervous with the safety coming over the top, mm-hmm. but you've got, yeah, the offense finally started clicking with one little mini exception. I already brought it up, which is converting. When you get into scoring territory, those have to be touchdowns. 
you, you can't settle for four or five, was it five field goal attempts made four of them. I mean, or is it four field goal attempts, make three of them and throw an interception in the other one. So it's either five or six times you get down inside the 25 yard line and you come away in those specific five drives with three field goals like that. That is the thing that the offense needs to improve upon is converting once they are in the, the high red zone or, or right around there is being able to actually take advantage of those drives. But outside of that, they moved the ball as much as they wanted to up and down the field. And it, it felt good to get the people involved that needed to be involved. Uh, average 6.6 yards per play ran 73 plays, uh, 28 first downs, five of 14 on third down total of 216 yards rushing. I mean, by far Iowa state's best rushing output of the season. And it, I mean, it just goes to show how I think that Iowa State will be perfectly fine offensively moving the football on the ground during Big 12 play. Yeah. Some tough matchups during the during non-conference, but I like there's no doubt in my mind Iowa State could maybe Sands, maybe Texas will have the best rushing attack in the league mm-hmm. outside of I mean at least top 2 probably. Well, and again, I don't, I think that as the season goes on, Brock will, or, uh, uh, Brees will probably get a little bit healthier or get a little yeah. more comfortable with how he's going to have to play with not being at full strength. I mean, either way, but that, yeah, that offense is the offense we expected to see. And the good news is you get Kansas in a bye week yeah. to get healthier, continue to get healthier. And then you go to the critical part of the schedule now based on this one loss. And, and, and may I make one, little mini, little teeny tiny statement of, mm-hmm. again, let's not, let's not throw the baby out of the bathwater. Let's not assume that everything is lost last year. After five games, I would say it was three and two with one loss that was absurd and due to special teams and ridiculous turnovers. And the other one was due to bad offensive performance. You were what two and one or one and one in conference at that point, two and one, I think two and one in conference. And granted last year, they had the Oklahoma game under their belt, but you're still three and two in the conference. And the, at that point, they put everything together, ended up running the table. Okay. Things are not completely off of the table. It just makes, it's just substantially harder. Now your margin of error is exponentially smaller. Yeah. Your margin of error is a lot smaller. Now your Texas and Oklahoma game become even bigger, but at the same time, you're out of the top 25. I mean, last year, I don't know how many times coach Campbell talked about Brock responding to his rock bottom moment of throwing three interceptions in the Baylor game. And then what did he do for the rest of the year? Played awesome. Well, this is a team wide rock bottom moment. You are, you've fallen out of the top 25. You started the year at number seven. You've now completely fallen out of the top 25. You are Oh, and one in conference. You got embarrassed at home by your in-state rival. And now no one thinks that you are worth anything. Here's your rock bottom. You get Kansas in a bye week, and then you slingshot yourself into the last half of the season against your biggest opponents, and every game is a critical must-win. All right, what are you going to do? It's it. You are they have they still have the capacity to control their own destiny. It just now becomes a lot harder to do so. And nobody else in the league really strikes fear in me at the moment. I mean, I think anybody who watched Oklahoma's game against West Virginia Saturday night knows that that team is not right right now either. They, they do not look like the same group that we watched play last year. There's no one that's head and shoulders above anybody in this league. And Texas scored a million points against Texas tech 
but they also were playing Texas tech. And if you watched them play against Arkansas, when you put some hardy defensive pressure on them, they tend to change their offensive performance. Mm -hmm. They're going to be better by the time you actually get to playing them. But still, I, I, I think that there is a lot of really good teams in the big 12. I don't think there's any one dominant team in the big 12. Yeah. Um, all right. What else do you want to cover from this? Is there anything else? Will McDonald's the best defensive end in the Big 12, if not college football? Yeah. Can we just say that? There's no doubt about that. Uh, there was a point where I think they had him for only one quarterback hurry. I don't know how many they fin- they like gave him officially uh, to finish the game. But I was he probably had about six times that many. Yeah, Will only had three tackles, a sack, a tackle for loss, one quarterback hurry, and a forced fumble. He prob- And it seemed like he had about seven quarterback hurries. What's, what's funny is that even the, the one force fumble that he had, the one that, you know, and he almost had and whatever that was, he, he beat a triple team there. Cause that was, they had a tight end that was sort of attached kind of a wing towards that side. And his job was to chip the, the edge rusher, whoever the edge rusher would be, whether it was McDonald, or I think there was maybe, I don't know, there's an, a linebacker lined up outside of Will McDonald. And so if the, the, the linebacker rushes, you got to chip him and help the offensive line. If he doesn't come, then you still got to chip the edge rusher to give a little bit more space because Iowa state has a really good pass rush. Well, the chip missed because his get off was too good. And then they sent both the guard and the tackle to him. And he rushes up the field to speed up the guard and the tackle and then spins underneath both of them. At the same time, the quarterback delivers himself to what he thinks is an open space, but all of a sudden number nine pops in front of him swats the ball out of his hand, gets a sack and a forced fumble after beating a triple team. Like that dude is an absolute machine. So I, I don't know. I, I would just want to shout out Will McDonald it is noticed how freaking good that dude is. I thought, uh, I thought old boy was going to get a pick too on the, what was it? Like a screen pass they tried to throw or something like that. And the guy basically uh-huh. threw it straight into his chest. Yeah. If, I, I would hope that he would have been able to catch it, but I think in that instance, you're not, uh, you're not expecting the ball to be delivered so closely to where you could catch it right. because that never happens. Straight at you. <laughs> never happens. Low key. That almost would be exactly what I would do if I was a quarterback and I had a guy run straight through like that. I'd be like, I'm going to throw this as hard as I possibly can off of your face mask. <laughs> just hit him in the belly button and just see what happens. Right. Like what are the odds that that, that big dude is going to get his hands up and catch it? You know, Nothing. you're not going to yeah, get intentional grounding at that point. Probably either. It's a perfect setup. There's no downsides to this. None. Well, I mean, obviously there is the odds that like, there's a chance that a guy could make a crazy play, but at the same time, it's like, you got to make a crazy play. You know, like I would bank on the odds that someone makes a crazy play. That's just my, that's what I'm saying. I, uh, generally about the defense though, the first half struggles versus the second half kind of cleanup on that. Um, it's commendable how much they turn that around because it was a pretty obvious blueprint that Baylor had for how they wanted to attack Iowa state's defense. It was, we are going to get your defensive ends pushed in. And it doesn't matter how many people we send towards your defensive ends. We are going to cave them in. We're going to climb up and get to your alley defender. And then we're just going to put somebody out there and run towards where we just created space to He's going to run on the edges. And if we can push your defensive end out and get your alley defender moved somehow, we're going to get five yards. And if they can get five yards, five yards, five yards, five yards, all the way down the field, they're going to end up scoring, which is kind of what happened. 
But then the ability for Iowa State to say, no, no, we're not going to have that anymore. Schematically, they didn't really change. They, they changed some, but they didn't change a bunch. It was just in better executing and getting penetration to turn the ball back into the rest of the defense. So like the safeties and linebackers, I mean, obviously defensive linemen, just every level of defense stepped, stepped up in their execution of what they wanted to do in a huge way to make it so Baylor couldn't move the ball. And it was again, one of those like night and day start of the game, end of the game things. Like it reminded me defensively, it reminded me a lot of the big 12 championship game last year against Oklahoma, where in the first half, you're like, dude, this is bad. This, I don't know how we could possibly slow this other team down. And all of a sudden the second half goes and they're like, I don't know how they moved the ball at all in the first place. And it felt like that again, where it was just, butter up and down the field for Baylor. And then you make one or two changes, you execute a little bit differently. And then you go, how are they going to even get the ball down the field at all? So it, I mean, commendable defense to, to respond in such a way and a little food for thought to make the adjustments faster as the season goes on. Dave Aranda is really smart. Like he's a really good dude with a great haircut, by the way. Uh, really sharp coach who knows how to attack schemes. Other teams are going to try and do what Baylor did to Iowa state. And it might not be every single game, but if you see say Oklahoma state and they're trying to run on the edges, you have a solution for it because you've already seen the problem. So it doesn't, it's not going to take you two, three, four drives to go, okay, how do we stop this? You're going to go, ah, they're trying to do what Baylor did. So we're going to respond in a way that stopped Baylor when they did this thing to us. So it just gives you bigger, a, a larger swath of information that you can take from that other teams are how other teams are going to try and attack you. So the, the adjustments in the future can happen faster. So it, fantastic job as always by the defensive coaching staff, you just want it to not happen after three touchdown drives. You want it to happen after zero or one touchdown drives. Honestly, it's, I can't imagine there's a program in the country better at going from looking like a wet paper bag to the 1970s steel curtain, like what Iowa state does. Yeah. Like to go from the other team looking like they could do damn near anything they wanted to at will to where then they literally can't do anything. I I don't know if I've ever seen a team that can do that. Yards per play for Baylor in the first half was 7.9 on 27 plays. So on any given snap, they averaged damn near eight yards. So 27 plays in the second half, they ran 25 plays, not two less plays. And their average yards per play was 2.8. That is three times more effective in the second half than it was in the first half. They were that much better, which is again, an incredible coaching job and execution job by the defense and the offense for what it's worth got better in the second half. Again, they were at 30, the Iowa state offense had 37 plays in the first half, 36 plays in the second half, 5.3 yards in the first half per play, 7.8 yards per play in the second half. So everybody got better in the second half. It's just special teams, man, turnovers and special teams. All right. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back, talk about Kansas, uh, here on football and random things on the cycle Fnatic podcast network. Welcome back into football and random things here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Man, um, just what the doctor ordered, hopefully, uh, with a game against Kansas leading into the bye week. Uh, 
Kansas is awful, dude. Yes, they are. <laughs> like they, they as bad a, as they've been in a while, which is to say something. They have an athlete at quarterback. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. And I just I think the line opened at 33 for this game. I mean, it it would take like something colossal, I think, for Kansas to even be in this game in the third quarter, let alone have an opportunity to win. Yeah. And this is a team that still doesn't have a lot of belief, which is, I think the thing that, that takes a bad team and brings them out of bad is the belief that they can be good. You know, like that any given game, they can hang around and make it a game. And then, you know, by that point you go, Hey, we got a chance for this. Well, they've gotten their ass handed to them in every game except one this year. And and that was a that was a down to the wire game that required a, a game winning drive against an FCS team. Yeah, and so there, as the season has gone on, and you get your ass kicked more, you lose that sense of belief that you can actually win the game. You can actually make it a game. So I don't, I don't know. We said this in UNLV, and we said it against you and I, but you and I is much better than Kansas. You and I, or uh, uh, the UNLV game and Kansas games, we're going to be the two where if you're going to be able to get your, you know, if you're going to get Deion Silas in for three or four drives, these are going to be the two games where you can get those guys in. Yeah. And I, yeah, it'll just be good to be able to get some guys like, obviously, Brees got a lot of carries. Give him, like, I would be perfectly fine if Brees played a quarter and a half and didn't even hardly play in the second half. Just well, to give him basically two weeks of rest before they play Kansas State. Yeah, and you get the bye week. And then coming out of the bye week, that's where you get your, your murderer's row of the season. So you have Kansas, bye, and then you're in Manhattan against Kansas State. You're at home against Oklahoma State. You're in Morgantown for West Virginia. Then you're at home against Texas. That's your murderer's row of the season. Those are four pretty good teams that, again, we talked about a lot of pretty good teams, no real one dominant team. You have four pretty good teams back to back to back to back, two of which on the road in pretty hard, hostile environments. So yeah, this is a good time to get everybody healthy. And I don't know. I don't know how much confidence beating the hell out of Kansas really gives you. So I don't think it like takes the chip off your shoulder, but being able to get, you know, execute, move on, get to three and two, get to the bye week get everybody healthy. And then, you know, that is the, the bye week is the slingshot getting pulled back to say, okay, you got to be really good from this point forward. So I don't know, I'm not expecting anything crazy on Saturday. I think it's going to be a run the ball, get it to your tight ends, hit a couple big plays, defense plays lights out. Kansas may get a play or two here or there. Like they did. I mean, last year, I think Iowa state put up 50 on Kansas, but it didn't really feel comfortable until like the middle of the third quarter. So it might happen where they steal one or two plays, but I don't think it's going to be anything that you really need to stress about, which is going to be, again, going to be nice to be able to get everybody into the bye week and then into Kansas state. All right. A couple shout outs. First one to the UNLV running, uh, running rebels who pushed uh, number 22 Fresno state to the brink on Friday night in, uh, in Fresno after I called them the worst college football team I'd ever seen in my life. Uh, the Marcus Arroyo's team were was feeling motivated after getting their asses kicked by Iowa State apparently and ready to go out and face the Bulldogs. So, it, uh, cap tip to them. Uh, but yeah, man. And and then I wanted to say to you, congrats on your wedding, dude. It looked beautiful. Hopefully, it went well. Yeah, it was wonderful. I wouldn't have wouldn't have changed or requested anything different. It was as 
enjoyable and kind of heartwarming of a week as I could possibly have imagined. So thank you. You're welcome. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say before we sign off and then we'll talk again on Friday? I, my only thing is we can kind of eliminate expectations now, right? Like, can we get rid of expectations and now enjoy the season for what it happens to be, you know, like the expectation of your preseason number seven and you, you got to make the, you got to win every game. You got to get the playoff. You have to, you know, X, Y, and Z. Now you want to get to where you want to get to. Let's say Iowa state wins all of the rest of the games, except one. And they finish the year nine and three. That's a pretty damn good year. Like, I don't want to say that that's a consolation prize and be like, man, that's what I'm hoping for. And obviously you want to win every single game, but the expectations now of having to be perfect and us having this weird, unfamiliar feeling that like you have to, you know, if, if, if a game, if you don't win a game by 25 points, that it's not a good game to get rid of those expectations and just enjoy watching good football, because we don't know how much, how many more games you have to watch Will McDonald and Brees Hall and Charlie Kolar and just enjoy what is still left and want and hope for the best. But now don't, you know, get your, be so tight that you can't enjoy watching good football and just the assumption that the season's still going to end well, but it just enjoy it while, while it's going on. So that's my little, let's, let's dump expectations for a second and just watch and want and be a, a fan base that supports and not just gets all pissy about everything. So just, that's my last thing. Absolutely. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll uh, talk to you guys again soon. Have a great week. Peace.